Hello and welcome to Talking Tent, a show about movies, TV, and all the content we can possibly consume. I'm Zach. And I'm Irma. We are a married couple whose love of television movies cannot be contained. We've decided to share our thoughts, opinions, cheers, and occasional jeers with the world. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Talk Intent. On this episode, we'll be breaking down the rest of the fantastic The Bear Season 2. Briefly talking about The Idol. And then we saw two movies this week. A little indie flick you might have heard of called Past Lives that's getting a lot of buzz. And another little flick you might have heard was coming out called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. But first, a little marital bliss. What did we do this week, darling? Uh, Well, we saw This Good Robot, which Woo! is <laughs> um, your best friend, John, is the guitarist? Yes. Yes. John, who you hear Irma shout out at the end of every episode, created our intro and outro music. Thank you very much. Unsurprisingly, he's got a rock band. They're back. They've been playing a bunch of shows, and we went to a show in Bushwick. A bunch of friends came out, which was very nice, uh, including a few that have little kids at home. So as we get older, it's been increasingly less and less common that a whole big group of us are out in Brooklyn. So this was quite a delight. And um, let's see, my neck hurts. My neck hurts. From, my back from, hurts. From moshing and, and headbanging. Uh, we, it took about two days to recover from being a little tipsy uh, again we're getting we're getting up there in age not so old but definitely not in our 20s uh irma's also got something in both of her eyes apparently <laughs> Stop. unclear if it's related to our big saturday night but uh i don't know apparently she's got eyelashes that won't come out for three days all right sounds really gross when you say it like that well you still look beautiful darling i'm just concerned that your eyes hurt all the time that was our big weekend. It's July 4th. We're recording. So happy July 4th to everybody. How about some industry talk? Oh, right. What, what do we got? Just two quick things. I was looking at IMDb for some news. I think the biggest news is the Superman casting reveal from James Gunn, the uh, Superman legacy. That's kind of, I guess, the, the full reboot of DC and the first Superman movie we've had in a while. Anyway, they announced that David Cornsweat is our new Clark Kent. I don't think that's really the big news. He was in um, Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Which we watched. He was the lead in Hollywood. Ryan Murphy's, I think it might have been his first show that he put out after that giant Netflix deal he made. And pretty easily his least successful one. I liked it, though. Oh, yeah, I thought it was good. But like, like, you know, viewing wise. Yeah, I like his style. I liked that style. Uh, he was also a, a bit part, not a bit part, but like uh, an unimportant part in in Pearl, which I loved. The uh, the the X trilogy, the horror movies that we've talked about. Uh, he was also in The Politician, which is another Ryan Murphy show. So he's a Ryan Murphy guy. Other than that, he's kind of a no name, which I think was probably on purpose. Uh, they want just a fresh face, Clark Kent. To potentially reboot a whole dang franchise. I know you're very excited about who's playing Lois. And Lois, Rachel Brosnahan of our beloved Marvelous Miss Maisel. So wait, is she Jewish in real life? No. She is not. 
but he is corn sweat. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, so he's a Jew playing Superman. Wow, big news. Yeah, so Rachel Brosnahan, we loved on Marvelous Miss Maisel. She's pretty. She can be Lois Lane. I really have no connection to Superman or Lois Lane. I was actually never a big fan, so I don't really care, and I have very low expectations for this movie, which is good because I can only be um, impressed. But the fact that they cast Rachel Brosnahan, like she's a very specific flavor i guess you could say and i just like gives me really high hopes that they're like gonna try and make this like somewhat funny somewhat like you know like she has her own um like big personality i mean yes she also played like in the first man right that was her no No. that wasn't her that was the other one i I think maybe you're projecting a little bit of mrs mazel onto her because she was in that that action 70s noir movie that was on netflix she's been on um well it's not broadway but she's been a play with oscar isaac for the last few months i think it's all dramatic sure sure she can do funny but but i don't think she only is like that mazel character no of course not but i do think like that's a big reason why they probably cast her yeah like she can hold her own you know like yeah she won the uh was it i think she won the emmy that first year no Course. When we when we were talking, and about. she's also older than um, this corn sweat guy, which I think is kind of cool. Oh. Anyway, that's the that's the news out of DC. Well, who knows? DC might just crash and burn. This is like the last hope. Uh, and then a a fun one that I saw more just for me, old Zach. Uh, apparently, Jason Blum, when he was talking in an interview for the new Insidious movie. He did confirm that the Spawn reboot that I've been hearing about for a decade, if not more, is still happening and in active, quote unquote, active development. And he said, hopefully it will be out 2025. And then he gave a little caveat about you know, the writers and, and the studios getting their, their stuff worked together. Spawn, Spawn? Yeah. is arguably my favorite comic book series. He is a Hellspawn. He is DC Marvel. Uh, no, Todd McFarlane created it. The the most successful independent comic book series of all time, pretty easily, since it's not Marvel or DC. Uh, and he's he's a he's a hellspawn. He gets he gets murdered, and he comes back for revenge. And it's a whole thing. They made the movie about it in the 90s. John Leguizamo was the clown. Yeah, this sounds vaguely familiar. It was the movie. That movie was was weird, but good. There's also a really good. I don't even know if it's on Max right now, but it was on HBO. I think also in the 90s, like very early HBO made an animated series that is very um, accurate to the first, like, I don't know, 10 issues of the actual comic. It might even be a few more issues, but it's six episodes. It's really good. Cool. Yeah. So hopefully, apparently the movie that they're thinking about, and I know like Todd McFarlane used to talk about it, wanting to relaunch it and having it be more of a horror thing. And he even said like, you might not even see the spawn and you would only see kind of the remnants of him and, and his actions and the brutality. Well, Jason Blum. Yeah. That sounds cool. Blumhouse. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. It's in the right hands to potentially do something really cool. So we'll see. I've Again, I've been looking forward to it. Tom McFarlane has been talking about making the movie again for so many years. So we'll see. 
That might be a, a movie that maybe I watch. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's supposed to be potentially horror, but it's also comic books, and it's 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 really good. Yeah. All right. Cool. Today we are talking about the fantastic season two of The Bear. Irma. Was season two of The Bear the best thing this decade? Um, hmm. Best thing this decade. It's pretty close, I would say, as of TV. Television and movies. I'm saying it, I think. Let me ruminate. Yup. The Bear season two is the best television series season or movie I've seen this decade. Okay. I think. You can uh, change your mind at any point. Yeah, I can change my mind. It's not like it's going to be on the internet forever. Yeah. But I stand by it. It was so fantastic. We talked about episodes one through five on a previous podcast. So technically, we're really only talking about the rest of the season, six through 10. But six through 10 is really like when it it just turns into a masterpiece. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like when we were talking about the first five episodes, yeah. we're like, oh, we'll see where the rest of the season goes. Sure, we have high hopes. We had no idea that this is what it was going to be. Yeah, so and that like literally the next episode was quote unquote the best episode of the series. Yeah, so let's start Crazy. right there. Episode six of The Bear. And let me tell you, if you haven't watched The Bear, I don't know if you just heard that it's the, my favorite thing I've watched in the last four years. But uh, go watch The Bear because it is. I think everyone's watching The Bear. Mind bogglingly good. Everything about it is fantastic. It's like exactly what I love about art and storytelling because it's it's it can be hilariously funny and then wildly serious and deeply moving. But it's like real. And it we also watched it after watching two different movies that. I just felt like the characters and everything about it was not lived in and it wasn't real. And then we turned on the bear both times and was like, yes, these are real people. This is real emotion. And it just it just got me. I loved it. I don't think you needed to knock the movies like that. (laughs) I'll just say like it was like this this refreshing thing about like, yes, like we can make great drama and great comedy about real people. It doesn't have to be larger than life. It well, doesn't true. have to be. I also think that like, yes, you can like empathize with your main character, but you can also get very frustrated by their actions oh, yeah. and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I love you, but <laughs> you need to like be better. Do better. So episode six, I tweeted about it. I talked about it. I said episode six was a masterpiece, an absolute gut wrenching also hilarious hour and six minutes, I think. It was just a, an incredible way to sh- tell a tale of increasing tension. You know, the beginning of it, it showed the family, the Berzados, uh, well, in Christmas. It's a flashback episode. Yeah, it's a flashback yeah. episode, which they did once the first season and then again this season. And it just shows the family in it at first. It looks, it seems like it's, you know, they're, they're obviously a pretty wild and out there group of people, but a lot of it in the, in the very beginning for like the first 20, 30 minutes is very funny. You know, it's people screaming over each other. It's it, there's, there's anxiety about Jamie Lee Curtis, the mother character. Um, You know, she's like stressed and the kids are worried about it, 
She's stressed in the kitchen, much like your boy Zach when he's making dinner for people. Uh, not I like mean, that. Not like that, obviously. Oh my God. Like the timers. Oh my God. It gave me such anxiety. Yeah. And then like the camera would flash to like different parts of the kitchen and it was disgusting. Oh like there God. was sauce everywhere. And I just like couldn't look. I'm I was just it it was just driving me nuts. Irma was cringing so many yeah. times when they showed how messy she was. But when was the last time that I cooked dinner for for people, not mm-hmm. just you, and didn't get stressed for like at least a few minutes? Oh, you and then hate got it. Over it. You absolutely. But hate I love it. it. That's what's like. I, I but you don't. I do though. Like I really uh, empathize you, with her being like, man, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy about making this meal for you, but I freaking hate it. But I love when you're eating it and it's good. But if you, but you always think it's bad. Well, no, sometimes it's good. Okay. But so this episode, uh, testament to Christopher Storer that we talked about him bringing, you know, all of these underground comedy people out of nowhere into this pretty big show. But then this episode, he's like, that's freaking turn it up a notch. And you can just, when you can take John Bernthal, Bob Odenkirk, John Mulaney, Sarah Paulson, and Jamie Lee Curtis just off the bench like hey you want to be in this basically short movie and just drop bombs all over the place it, it, it was incredible like John Bernthal and we talked about this from season one is unbelievable so good he might be he's got to be the most underappreciated actor of I this agree generation. I fully agree like he came up and I feel like people didn't know what to do with him he was in The Walking Dead he was the Punisher early in the Netflix Marvel like he does bit roles here and there, but I think the last few years people have really started to understand what kind of dynamic presence he can bring, and this role is just built for he him. Is he's such a presence, like a huge presence in everything he does. It's like, oh, there's John Bernthal. Yeah, and yeah. like they build up this character in season one and season two as like this larger than life figure that has obviously left a massive hole in in the family. Mm-hmm. And so when they show him in season one and in this episode, it's it's like a huge task for someone to actually fill the hole that the storytelling has developed. And he he more than fills it. Yeah. Like he like I he, get it. Yeah. He steals the screen. He steals yeah. everything. And you understand like how compelling this brother is, but then how flawed he is and how troubled he is. And how he's like gathered all of these people around him and they like will follow him till like no matter what he does, like Richie will just like do any venture with him. Cause he like he knows like, well, he will steer her wrong, but like at the same time, like he can't help but be like, I have to do what you're doing, you know, yeah. in a way. Like you you must follow him. It feels like, you know, we're it it kind of feels like um Another show that we're going to talk about, The Idol, of like this like cult thing. Yeah. Being like, oh, people must follow this guy. And it's kind of it doesn't work because the presence is just not there. But like with with Mikey and John Bernthal's character, you like get it. You're like, this guy is somebody that is just so compelling. And it it just opens the door of you understand what everybody's been talking about this whole time. Uh, He goes to bat with with Bob Odenkirk. Kirk, who does a fantastic job, also the scene at the dinner table, and this is when the episode ramps. Yeah, from being pretty funny and everybody like having a mild uh, agita about where the family dinner is about to go, but like not not so different from 
you know, dysfunctional families we've seen before to just Bernthal, Mikey being just manic. Apparently, we kind of understand at yeah. one point in the night he did drugs. And it's it's kind of when he after he talks to Carmi and Carmi gives him the picture of what the bear is going to look like, which is ugh, like everything about this show was thought about yeah. from start to finish, like every little detail. And that's what makes it so good. You know, we we complained about them dropping all 10 episodes at once, but it really was. And it sounds silly, but it really was like a six hour movie. Yeah. And the only reason we stopped watching is because I wanted to savor it a little bit. So we we took breaks. Well, after we got to the sixth episode, I was like, I need to see where this goes. Like, I can't not watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So then Mikey is ramping up at the dinner table, throw, uh, threatening to throw forks at Bob Odenkirk's character. And everybody's kind of trying to calm him down. Like they've seen this before. This this firecracker uh, is about to go off. Uh, they, they task John Mulaney with trying to ease the tension. And he actually does a fantastic job. He does job. do a fantastic job. Honestly, I thought he was a little odd in this dynamic, but I guess everyone has that like weird cousin or uncle. They're like, oh, how are you related? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was so good. Such a good cast. Yeah. He just did like a little speech about where the seven fishes comes from. And he basically made it up to try and ease the tension and and get everybody on the same page, get a little bit of a laugh. Mm-hmm. I was pretty impressed. You know, John Mulaney is not an actor. He's done plenty yeah. of acting. Uh, he's been on Broadway, so I guess he's got the chops. But he was fantastic. And then Sarah Paulson, just little nuanced things that she does. And then the massive explosion. Finally, what the whole family's been waiting for, Donna explodes after Abby Elliott's character finally asks her if she's okay after the whole family said, don't ask her. Well, she's been asking her all night. Right. Like the, the last this, the last time after like this whole fight with with Bob Odenkirk and John Bernthal. And I feel like you're glossing over the fork fight. Like the fork fight was unbelievable. Like that tension within yeah. that couple minutes and the way it was shot, like the camera was like low to the table. So we almost had like a seat at the table also screaming at him to not throw the fork. Oh, yeah. I thought that was just master filmmaking. Like, I feel like I've never really experienced like almost being a character in that moment. You know, like from our couch feeling like just screaming at him, you know? It was just so good. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. So the whole season, they've really done the close-ups of the faces. They and really a, have. A lot, of yeah. people, a lot of people in the cast have really interesting faces. Jeremy Allen White has just like a very unique look. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Bernthal himself, you know, his nose, I think his nose got broken at one point he's talked about in the past. So like all of them have pretty unique looks. And then in this, they did the same thing. And at one point, at the very end of that, that part of it, um, when John Bernthal maybe is going to throw the fork at, at Bob Odenkirk again, uh, it really zooms in back and forth on their eyes when Bob Odenkirk is saying, you're nothing, you're nothing, nothing. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost too close on his eyes. You know, the, you, they lost the, the mouth. Um, but yeah, I mean, that part was crazy. So good. And then when, right when you think that the tension is kind of eased from Mulaney's speech and people are like, okay, maybe we can move on without this turning into a nightmare. Jamie Lee Curtis, the mother, Donna, shows the, the trauma and the mania 
that this family has experienced their entire lives. And we understand kind of why Mikey is the way he is. Yeah. We understand why Carmi is so guarded now because this is what he lived with. Like, not only was this episode a fantastic, just standalone hour of television, it was a huge piece in understanding the entire show as a whole. Yeah. Understanding what makes Carmen Carmen, like why he is like that. Like, can you imagine growing up in a house with that much mania and that much unpredictability? Well, even Sugar, too. You know, she's like kind of like they call her mom now. And like you can kind of see that maybe she had to be that figure in the life. You know, she had to essentially be her own mom in a way because her mom was just like too distracted or just too, I don't know, unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. And even with Richie, too, we saw his um, life with I'm sorry, what's her name? Gillian Jacobs. Yes, Gillian Jacobs and how Tiffany like is the character. Yes, and how beautiful and sweet their relationship was and like how sad it is that like they're not together anymore. Um and that he was kind of always trying to get out of the bear, trying to find something else, trying to find yeah. a different path. But I guess like Richie or someone or somehow this just like this life just kept drawing him back in and he could never really get out. Um and then we'll see in like the next episode that he really finds his place finally, I think. Yeah, I think it was just a great episode. It was probably your favorite episode of the season, right? Yeah, well, I tend to, if anybody's listened to me before, I love when things make me feel absolutely awful. Well, also, you didn't <laughs> love Jamie Lee's performance. We talked no, about no, it No, no, I was okay. okay. I, I, I did like it. I was watching it being like, this is a lot, what? which is on purpose. I think the general consensus from what I've heard in the zeitgeist is like she was the weak link in this show when you're dealing with these powerhouses, but I kind of disagree. I kind of, I disagree. I think she was meant to go big and I'm glad she went big, honestly. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. And I mean, she's, she's a maniac and it, it takes one little thing and she explodes and no no offense to Jamie Lee Curtis. You're a beautiful woman. I thought what she was doing with her face and like the amount of wrinkles she has now, I fully like, agree. Really, yeah. really tied really in. Really sold it. Yeah. And again, an- another time that the show really zoomed in on her face, like she understood that and she was like doing things with her mouth and pe- pursing her lips and like just yeah. making herself look crazy and, and ugly. And I thought she just did a fantastic job. Well, I also, I just, I do feel like, yes, there were a lot of amazing actors in this, but it was kind of tough to see them in these roles. I know that's going to sound really awful, but like I did see Jamie Lee Curtis. I saw Bob Odenkirk. I saw John Mulaney. You know what I mean? Like they didn't really meld in as much as I would have loved if they were just like essentially like no names. Um, But that being said, they all did an amazing job and I would love to see them come back in later episodes or in later seasons. Um, Cause I mean, they're still part of the family, you know, like Jamie Lee does come back at the last episode. Um, So yeah, I'm, I mean, this is a crazy fucking family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, you did not see, say Sarah Paulson there because you did believe her. Because I was did so believe subtle. her. No, I did believe her. Actually, she, she I the, felt that she yeah. was that like New York aunt or New York cousin or whatever. Like, it, I felt like she was the one who got out. Yeah, and she, you could tell she understood the energy of what Bernthal and Jamie Lee Curtis were bringing, and she was like the centered person that yeah. was like, all right. Um, no, I think this. yeah, she she was so good. I love Sarah Paulson. She's so good. But as Irma said, Richie might be the main character of season two. 
He's, and oh. we learn so much about him. In episode s- seven in episode is one of my six, favorite. We see him with it's one of my favorite Gillian seven. Jacobs, his ex-wife now that we know. Um, you know, they have a lovely moment in the in upstairs in the bedroom. Like, there's um, a lot of love there. Yeah, which is what like a fantastic just showing of how much they loved each other, but us knowing that it doesn't work out four years, five years later. And then episode seven comes on. And if you're watching episode six, you simply must not turn it off and say, I need a breather because that breather is episode seven. It is just a fantastic palate cleansing sorbet. Yeah. After the, the mayhem of episode six and it focuses on Richie Eben Moss Bacharach, right? That's his name. Yeah, I think it's Bacharach. I don't know. Bacharach. Yeah. <laughs> well, Again, I, he's amazing. Yeah, we've said this before. If he doesn't win the Emmy, I don't understand what we're doing. And I know the succession people, I think, are all running in lead, except may, maybe not Tom. Yeah, Tom's not. But he and Tom, Tom won so last good, year. Yeah. yeah, that's a tough one. But both of them, I, honestly. Well, I, this is not drama is it this is comedy yeah i forget i forget what they what they put it in yeah anyway he should definitely win he's just so fantastic in everything that he's done and then finally just like bernthal like this show has really unlocked everything that that the actor like i could see them being best friends you know what i mean like it's like it's so believable yeah they should somebody should figure out another thing where they could just be best friends together or something true true um because even that scene i'm sorry not to go back to episode six but when they're like confronting Carmi about seeing Claire and like the two of them are like over Carmi and like just it just felt so real. It felt so alive. I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also in episode six. Right. When the Claire Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no. Why can't you love her? So that was part of the part that was funny. Yeah. So episode seven, Richie is sent to a. Three Michelin star restaurant. In, I think it's real. It's called. Yeah, it's Ender. real. It's called Ever. Ever. Sorry. Uh, at first, we thought it was Alinea, which is like very famously one of the best restaurants in the world in Chicago. I think this one is newer. Uh, so we weren't quite as familiar with it as not being from Chicago. But it is a real restaurant called Ever. None of the people that were there were actually the people that worked there. Um, but the interiors were the same. And it just shows him, you know, the whole season especially with the restaurant transferring out of just being a a sandwich shop, Richie has been trying to understand his purpose. And for five episodes, he's kind of just the guy doing some maintenance. But then even in that, he's trying to take control of things that he doesn't really know that much about. You know, Manny Matheson's character, Fack, is really the one that seems to understand what you need to do in the maintenance department. And then like Richie's always pushing back at him. Being like, no, follow, you know, I'm I'm in charge here. And finally, in episode seven, titled Forks, he finds his purpose. And it is just it's beautiful. beautiful. Well, it's also funny because like I think the whole series so far, they were saying, like, oh, you're the people person. You're good with people. But like, I never saw that. Yeah. And it was kind of like, are you sure? Like, what are you talking about? And this is the episode where they really show us that. And I just thought it was so beautiful the way it was done. And it starts off pretty like gruffly, obviously, because mm-hmm. it really puts you into what Eben is or Richie is going through. Like, he's like pissed. He's like, I don't want to be here. You just sent me off so you can get me out of your way. And like, you can run the restaurant. You're just trying to get rid of me. And like, I felt that and I was kind of Mm -hmm. like, I was a little annoyed for him in the beginning too. Cause I'm like, why is he here polishing forks? But then you like 
gradually see it. They're like, okay, no, this is just like a small step in like the evolution of this one week that he lives um, going to this restaurant every day. Yeah. And this brings us back to what we've talked about in the past of this show really doing the best job I've ever seen of showing the craft of running a restaurant. Yes. And then, and often the minutiae. There is so much stuff that we don't realize as diners is going on, but there is somebody in these fancy restaurants that is polishing every single fork. Yes. People are doing that. There are people that are for, for 12 hours a day washing the dishes. You know, it's like a very specific job that you have to just love for some crazy yes. reason. And, and that brings us to, so Richie is kind of like, what are we doing here? As, as Irma said, like, why are we working this hard? He talks to the, the, I guess the back of uh, the front of house manager who yes. does also a lovely job, another actor I've never seen before, but he did a great job. And finally, when Richie's like kind of being a dick, he brings him outside and he, he, he drops like this beautiful speech about, you know, serving people and how these people save up their money. And it has to be perfect every time. Yeah, it's meaningful that they're there, yeah. that they have chosen to dine with them, to spend their money there. Um, and so you have to treat them with respect, essentially. And I think it really wakes Richie up. Yeah, it definitely clicks. It, it, it also reminded me of all the news uh, and snippets that we've been getting of Taylor Swift and Beyonce's concerts. And like, the, <laughs> randomly, the other day I saw like her, one of the um, trap doors didn't work because she was supposed to go down and do like quick, quick change. But the thing didn't work. So like at first she stalls, she stomps it. Like, why isn't this working? And then she hauls ass off the stage because she knows she has like 30 seconds to get in, get out, change and be back on that next song. Because yes, she is doing this a hundred times this year. Mm. But for the, the girl that spent a thousand dollars to see her, that's their only time potentially ever seeing yeah. her live. And like, that's a very extreme example, but it's similar. Like you have to understand, even if something feels monotonous and stupid, like, oh, I, maybe I could just do the next song without the costume change. It's like, no, there, there's like, everything has to be perfect. Yeah. And that like the perfection in the craft is, I think, and serving people is what really clicks with Richie. And also there's a scene um, where I think they're doing like before dinner meeting and I want to say like the sous chef comes out and he's like, there's a smudge on the plate and he really dives into like why that's a really big deal. And I also think that's kind of what wakes Richie up too, mm -hmm. realizing that like, oh shit, this smudge really ruined that person's evening. You know what I mean? Like this wasn't perfect and it should have been. Yeah. And then finally a detail that comes back up at the end of the whole season Another thing that I think really is like really the final nail in the coffin of Richie understanding this and wanting to pursue it is the amount of um, like dedication and customization to every customer. Mm. So when they, yeah, the, when, when, when one of the, I don't know how, apparently there were talks like 11 Madison used to do this, but like we've been to a few fancy restaurants and yeah. definitely never noticed anything this specific. Well, we've gotten like we've been to restaurants for our anniversary and we've gotten cards from the wait staff True. saying like thank you for uh having your anniversary like whatever yeah. like 
Saga did that. And yes. I want to say another restaurant did that. Well, one time in Tokyo, everybody yes. chanted anniversary, happy oh anniversary God. to no, us. Honeymoon. Honeymoon. Oh, right. Honeymoon. That was delightful. So I guess it does happen. But um, they show that some one of the waitstaff overheard somebody was leaving Chicago tomorrow and hadn't had deep dish pizza. So they go and get a famous deep dish from one of the local restaurants and bring it up and jazz it up and bring it special to that table off menu, of course. And like, I think that just like that level of person personalization really, really triggers Richie to, to like, be like, this is something that I can really love. And then at the very end, they give us Olivia Coleman. I know they were just like hiding her in the yeah. back. It was crazy. Just, uh, Arguably our best actress at the time, best one of our best actors, full stop right now. And she just comes in peeling mushrooms, just again, talking about like the craft of serving people and their, their, their fathers and their military father backgrounds. And it's just like this eye-opening experience for him that, you know, these small things matter. And well, also like if you're staging at a restaurant and clearly you have no, um, contact with the head chef the owner of the restaurant the chef you know mm -hmm. what i mean like you would feel i would feel extremely intimidated to just start a conversation with this person even like no matter what field you're in whether you're in a restaurant an office whatever you would never just like casually start up a conversation mm -hmm. and if you are that person like we do have a couple friends that like are that people like you know you're good with people and Schmoozers. I think, yeah, like, and like, she kind of, I think, recognizes that. Like, yes, she says that. Yeah. She's like, you're good with people. Yeah. Well, she says that Carmi said that you're good with people and yeah. that she agrees. And like, I think that's just the, the, the last rubber stamp that he needs. Yeah. Uh, and, and Richie gets his purpose. And it's just a beautiful capper off of this horrible episode six where we see trauma and Richie is able to kind of grow out of that. And speaking of Taylor Swift, that's like the song that like yeah, true, right. is love like story. a through line in this episode. And it's amazing. I kind of love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah they, they spent money on yeah, that. They, the budget was going to Copenhagen for episode four, I think. And then yeah. some of the needle drops they had this this season with Taylor Swift specifically, uh, a bunch of Eddie Vedder stuff. Uh, really, really great. Like the soundtrack. You could do worse than just putting on the soundtrack from this season and having a great time. And that brings us to, I'm, I'm going to call the finale a three part eight, episodes, eight through 10. Yeah. Where it kind of goes back to the normal, the normal characters, the normal timeline. Um, Carmi and Claire are spending more time together. They go to a party together. We understand again, that Carmen spent so much of his young adult life just in restaurants that he has just no social skills and like mm -hmm. no understanding of how to just be a normal, I don't, they never say his age, but he's like a late twenties, I guess. Yeah. Twenties. Um, and so just like him figuring that out and just understanding that like Claire is good for him and a good presence and a normal presence, a normal presence from yeah. what we've seen. A grounding presence. And like not everything is so horrible and things can be okay. Mm-hmm. And we go back to the restaurant and it's, you know, it's the normal restaurant tension that they've been building up to. They finally pass the fire suppression test after Maddie Matheson's character figures out that that Mikey had uh, sabotaged the system on purpose. Yeah. Because at one point he was trying to burn it down for the money. For the and like that money. clicks for him. 
So they, they finally fix it. They pass it. It's like this huge hurrah sports movie moment. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yes. But, but you were kind of annoyed by that detail because you're like, why wouldn't you look at the system yeah. in the first place? I mean, it's, there's a few details in the show yeah. that are like, like all if right. it's not working, look at the whole thing, yeah. not just one part of it. But, but, but yeah. the storytelling as a whole, like it just worked and it didn't bother me that much. No, that, like, I know. He I hadn't know. already looked at the system. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, you can really see it doesn't the, matter overall, but you can see the exhilaration and like Carmi's. Maybe Fack is just not that good at his job. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> He's never been shown to be an excellent yeah. maintenance man. He's just great. Yeah. Also, Maddie Matheson. Fantastic job. He's so good for someone who's not an actor. Yeah. So good. He's got a future in this business. He really does. Um, And then so that and then they're preparing for friends and family opening. And we had actually talked about we thought maybe this the season would go to the point of them trying to get a star mm-hmm. and it didn't get close to that, which like I now s- we feel I silly. Knew. Yeah, I knew. Okay. I thought maybe it would go. Um, but basically it's, it's the friends and family. It's the opening and they're getting to that. They're building to that. Finally, they decorate the restaurant. Yes. It's very woodsy. Yeah. You know, the bear that works. It's definitely not as nice as like how ever was or, you know, but it, yeah. it's all right. It, it is what it is. And we finally get well, the windows are kind of strange. I don't know if I like the, the front window. Yeah. Well, just oh, like the, the thing to the kitchen. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's like the front window too is mm. like that. Cause they like frost it. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, just a small detail that I was like, Hey, weird. We finally get the Sydney Carmi conversation. We thought was coming in the way of an explosive fight. Yeah. And it comes as a very tender moment under a table. I love that they really subverted our expectations, yes. at least our expectations. I really expected it to be a big blow up. That's honestly like how we've seen them all communicate. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this was so such a quiet, intimate moment just took my breath away. I like couldn't believe that this like they just had such restraint in this scene. And I loved it. Yeah, Carmi basically says that she deserved, Sydney deserved more from him and he was distracted and she deserved his full attention. And unfortunately, that kind of comes to a head later on. See, like, I think Carmi as a character and person in this story doesn't understand, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, like portion control in a mm-hmm. way. Like he yeah. doesn't know how to like divvy up his time correctly. Certainly. Like I think he can be with Claire, obviously, and run this restaurant. But like I also think he just needs to be better at communicating with Sydney and like have like, okay, this is going to be our set time that we talk about the menu. It doesn't seem like they really, or maybe they stopped showing that later on in the season, but it's just like, he only knows how to give his all to one thing. He can't divvy up his time proportionally well enough, I guess. And I think that'll be maybe something that hopefully next season he can figure out better. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And much like sometimes when we were talking about succession, we're looking at it from a relatively healthy, normal perspective. And he is not a healthy, normal guy. Like the whole time you're watching it saying like, you can have both. You can figure this out. People do this. She has a very demanding job as well. Yeah. And like, you can, you can figure this out. You can give enough time. Um, But for him, he couldn't. And it, it kind of comes to a head in the final episode 
where they're having the friends and family night and they're it's basically a huge stress test of what will what can go wrong will go wrong for the restaurant everybody's in their position sydney is ready to do the, all the expediting all the chefs are ready to cook well, they hired some new chefs, some that like are not fully tested, I don't think. So this yep. was testing those chefs. And uh, Richie and Fack are front of house. Uh, Abby Elliott, Sugar, is kind of running a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, again, like the manager, the project manager. manager. Yeah. Um, and at first it's running pretty well. Things are looking good. You know, they're showing how much they're taking care of Sydney's dad. He doesn't drink. Richie knows that. He's got a whole cart of yeah. sodas ready to go. Like, you know, the thing that he learned about the pizza, like all this yes. customization. And then things slowly start to get worse. Sydney waffles in and out of like this very confident control to terror. Um, when, when things start, they start to get behind. One of the steaks is not cooked properly. So she says, refire it. She gets a little pushback. You know, things start to add up. They're starting to get in the weeds, as they say. And she starts to get a little panicky back to last season Mm -hmm. when the whole ticket machine explosion happened and like the whole restaurant went into nightmare mode. She kind of falls apart a little bit. And all in that time, Harmy is getting a little more mad. He enters the freezer and gets locked in the freezer. The, The head of the entire restaurant, the brains behind the organization, Sydney's pillar, if she needs him, is now gone. And from what we saw in episode six, like what we understand about him, he cannot handle that. And he doesn't handle it well at all. No. And instead of understanding that the rest of his team has control and can do it, he goes into a full breakdown. And simultaneously, Sydney and Richie are trying to well, I think Richie really steps up and really helps ground Sydney yeah. into like pushing her to do what she needs to do while taking over her old job. And I just thought like, yeah, like I think Richie was the one who really stepped up here. Yeah. So Sydney asked Richie for help. She says, we have five minutes. You know, they put another arbitrary time clock yeah, yeah. Uh, on the show. Uh, but it really showed you like how little time and how much needs to get done to get everything back on track at Sydney. Uh, Richie, he learned a lot from his week stodging at one of the best restaurants <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Well, he was kind of, he said, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but let's just do it. Like, you got to just do it. He fully yeah. understood how to fully manage a kitchen staff and he takes over expediting and Sydney is cooking. Do you know what any of that means? The four by uh, four, fire really. two, blah, blah, blah. I was, I was like, and I, I'm glad they didn't explain it to us, yeah. but I did love that they like, Fully just went into restaurant speak. Yeah. You know, like, I kinda, like some of it I understand, but when they're saying four by four, yeah. Like I don't even understand what the by yeah, is. Yeah, me either. And then I still don't really know what all day means. Yeah, yeah. We're at a restaurant that we were sitting at the bar, and even when they were making the drinks, they were saying all day. And uh, I don't remember what that means. Uh, let us know the comments what know, all day and what four by four and all that stuff. I know. I'd love to have like a server or a chef on the show to like yeah. explain to us everything. It was, I mean, but it doesn't matter ultimately no, what any of that we means. Get, we get the But tension. I love that like Richie just stepped up, just knew what to do and just did it. And then that allowed Sydney to like do what she needed to do, like to get on the line, to cook what she needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole time Carmi is just screaming from yeah. the freezer to let him out and we didn't discuss it but the reason that he's in the freezer is because he was supposed to 
call the, the fridge guy to fix the handle that had broken before. Another weird tidbit, because like somebody else could have called. But I well, feel like Sugar it was, kept saying, like, oh, I'll call. And he's like, no, 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 I'll call. Yeah, I'll call. He kept, he kept doing, but he never did. And, and like, never, I just takes two seconds. Just call. Yeah, but he's got all this other stuff on his mind. And so then he's locked in the fridge the night his restaurant is opening. I understood his the, frustration. The frustration. Yeah. Like, this is your thing. And now it is just falling apart on you. And again, instead of understanding that his team that he's built and they're all doing a great Capable job people handles yeah. it full meltdown and he sees like the the finally what sets him off is that the tape is not perfectly cut uh on all the containers it's just like another detail that he missed because well i think they ordered the wrong peanut butter wrong mustard yeah they ordered the wrong mustard like a one he was like when did uh heinz mustard yeah. shots at heinz mustard <laughs> all right uh and like so all these things he has a full meltdown about, you know, taking his eye off the ball, not being able to give time to these other people, Claire, and how he failed the restaurant. He failed everybody and it's never going to happen again. And we find out that Claire is right outside the fridge. Because well, he thought he was talking to Tina moment. and then yeah. Claire switched in. Yeah. Absolutely breaks her heart. Again, the whole time we're just thinking like, come on, man, you could do both. She's so lovely and you're capable. Um, she has just a, again, that, that actress, Molly Gordon, another just fantastic job. Yeah, she's just great. Comes in and just comes in and another star making performance and she gets her heart broken. Richie sees her leaving and he commences to kind of ask Carmi what happened and why he would be mean to, to Claire. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carmi is already on edge, razor thin edge. And Richie calls him Donna. I think he says Dee Dee because he's like overreacting. Yeah. And that just, whoo, that was like Abby asking the mom if she's okay. Yeah. It just absolutely sends him into a spiral. And he starts screaming at Richie like, you're a leech. You'd be nothing without me. Just heinous things to say. Yeah. And they're Which yelling back at each true. other. Yeah. And they, they perfectly frame it. So they're, you know, staring at each other, but through mm-hmm. the door. And then the door is in the middle. And and Richie through all this is like is saying all these things back, but then he's saying, I love you, I love you. You know, I think like he's thinking of Mikey. Yeah. And like the yeah. mania that he saw and how Mikey took his life mm-hmm. and like he couldn't handle that again. And just it's just this fantastic, I, I want to call it beautiful, but it's so heinous. But yeah. like it is beautiful because we kind of they're gonna be okay. Well, it just like you would think that like in the beginning of this, that like Carmi is the stable person. But then at the end, really, Richie's the yeah. stable person because he's able to realize, like, you don't mean this. It's OK. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But like Carmi is the one who's like having the meltdown and like acting like a child, you know, so. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect shift from what we saw in season one, where it seemed like, you know, Richie's character was kind of like this the nobody troublemaker. He couldn't get yeah. his family together. He couldn't figure out what to do with his kid. You know, he was like a classic kind of deadbeat. As, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's how they're painting him. Um, and Carmen was the one that was like this big, successful chef mm-hmm. that was coming back to fix the restaurant that his brother left in shambles. Yeah. And they it's not like a full shift because Carmen no, doesn't course, turn into course. like a, 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 well, a, Carmi a puddle. Did do that, but he's yeah. not like I don't know. He's not giving enough. Um, I would say like not agency or like not enough. Um, yes. 
like to all the people that he has around them. Like he needs to elevate them. I mean, he has elevated them, but at the same time, like he doesn't believe in them. Like he feels like he's the one who needs to be out there doing it. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a learning curve yeah. for any boss. Like, first of all, he's never really That's been true. the That's boss. That's true. Like, you have to learn to trust uh, the people yeah, around you, you. You built this team. You put your trust in Sydney. Sydney put her trust in Tina. You've always had your trust in Richie and your sister. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, there are moments when tension builds that you forget about that. And hopefully, now next season, he's able to learn from this. And then I think season three will be their attempt to get the Michelin stars. Uh, and then I'm thinking like season four will be him passing something on to just Sydney. And then that'll be it. I can't, I can't, I've always said like four five, six maximum six is pushing it these days of yeah. seasons. I'd say this show is a s- four seasons, four seasons, like succession. They might even decide three seasons. You never know. I feel like there's more meat on the bone, but yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and then just a few little details that we were talking about, just how everything was so thought of from beginning to mm-hmm. end. Um, one, one part that had me like nearly weeping was when Richie delivers the dessert to Uncle yes, Jimmy. I love that. And you that. think it's like just a little favor because Uncle Jimmy's done a lot to help mm-hmm. this restaurant. And you realize that it harkens back to a conversation from, we understand is five years ago. It was episode six when him and Gillian Jacobs are talking to Uncle Jimmy about bananas and a chocolate covered banana stand that mm-hmm. uncle Jimmy's dad used to stop at. And like the smell of it reminded him of that. And so he gets, he delivers him a chocolate covered banana as dessert. Obviously like that's not the menu. Yeah. And it's just, again, it's like that deep dish piece. It's like thing. a beautiful moment. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the, another just beautiful, another beautiful moment was when Sydney and Richie are talking and again, Richie's been opening up a lot. He's talking about his father and how he never really had the family. His mm-hmm. family was never really around. And Sydney says, oh, well, then it's nice that you had sugar and Carmi uh, to, to replace that. And, she, and he says, now you do too. And like even yeah, saying yeah. that right now, I start tearing up. It's like all of these beautiful little moments packaged into the just a perfect, perfect season of television. Yeah. And then another really beautiful moment I thought was when um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, she's invited to the opening of the restaurant. Um, Sugar's husband, I don't remember his name, sees that she's outside and he goes outside and is like, please come in. Like they're they're waiting for you. They want you to be here. And she's like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't go in there. Like, I'll just ruin it for them. Um, And it like he gets really upset and like he doesn't know how to handle it. You could just tell he's such a nice guy and doesn't come from a family that's like this. Um, And eventually she leaves because she's just like, I don't want to ruin this for them because like I know I will. Um, And so she leaves. But it was really nice that she did go just to see it in a way. Um, And then he has to go back in and tell Sugar like, no, I'm sorry that your mom never came and he gets very emotional and yeah, it's just like, like he's protecting her. And I don't know. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but because it would have made sugar obviously upset to know that her mom was there, but then left. Um, yeah. I just thought like it really kind of rounded out that storyline. Yeah. And it just another props to Chris Storer for getting Pete is, is, uh, is Abby Elliott's husband's name. The, the actor is uh, Chris Wit- Witsaki. Sorry for mispronouncing that, but he's a comedian. Like he was in the love 
uh, the other show with Gillian Jacobs. Every everything else he's been in has been comedy, and it is such a weighty moment to put on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having to understand like the depth of what the mother character is doing, and like and his emotional feeling about trying to protect his 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 partner, his wife, his future. Um, the mother of his future child. And he spills that accidentally. Oh, yes. He's the one that, that, that lets Donna know that, that she's pregnant. And like to put all of that on, on this actor is, is crazy. And he does such a good job. He really does. That's all I was thinking. You of. Like, could I, tell that it's weighing on yeah. him, you know? And I just thought, yeah, he did such a good job. It's, again, just trusting in your team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that the showrunner Chris Storer obviously does. And and hopefully Carmi will will figure that out. But just an all timer. An all timer. Can I just bring up one other thing, and yeah. then maybe you can help me unpack it in a way. So Marcus kind of asked Sydney out for drinks mm. after yes. um, the opening of the restaurant, and she gets all weird and says no, and then like they kind of get in a fight for the rest of the night. And I didn't really understand that fight. If yeah. I'm being honest. Well, I think like it wasn't really the place and the time. And Sydney technically is his boss now. And to But it like, didn't seem like he was asking her on a Nah, he was. Oh, okay. He was asking her on a day, like, would you want to get dinner another time? And like it didn't feel perfectly appropriate. And then I think he understood that and just mm. wanted to then just move on. Okay. And Sydney like got a little weird. Uh. And like then then he was, you know, sometimes, you know, when you get mad at me and I just want to fix it immediately. Yeah. But you're like, all right, just let it be and it'll be fine. And I can't quite understand. Yeah. That. It's kind of like that. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually I let it go and, and everything is totally fine, of course. But that's what it felt like. Yeah. OK. Other than that. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing season. Yeah. That is the bear season two. Thank you for bearing with us. I know that was very long, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we did talk about five episodes of the best thing I've seen all decade. Pretty good. Pretty damn good. All right. Now let's talk about the end of the idol very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Ultimately, Abel Tuspe, is that his name? Yep. <laughs> I don't think was right for this part. Yeah, I thought he did a fine job. He did a fine job, but you really just need someone who can, like, carry this part way better. And I just didn't find him believable. Yeah, I, uh, at, in the end, it kind of the, his role was a little empty and all over the place. I thought episodes four and five were better because they showed the craft of making music. Except for like parts of it, it was kind of just the weekend Mike Dean and Lily Rose Depp right. making Mike music. Mike Dean was so strange. Cool. Um, definitely cool. But it was just like weird that he was there. He was in it a lot. Yeah, he was in it a lot. And like they gave him a lot of quips. And I was just like, what? Like, who is this guy? Yeah, it felt I mean, very strange. I don't know. Again, it feels like the weird parts of the show, because of the news that we've kind of heard, feel like they're all Abel's ideas. Like, let's have Mike Dean in this a lot because, A, he, he, is, he does seem like he's a funny guy. Well, he has written a lot of music with The Weeknd. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like, this is my guy. Let's put him in the show. Yeah, which and was like, amazing. Let's put him in the show a lot. But it was just weird that he, like, Mike Dean was just sitting on set for all of this time. Yeah. Just, well, like, watching all of this. It's he produced. So weird. Uh, but ultimately, what, what was it about? A pay, they twisted on us. Jocelyn reclaims her power. Mm-hmm. And it kind of comes out. We understand that Jocelyn kind of knew 
exactly what she was doing. A few things surprise her. Like she didn't know that the whole meeting of him, of Tedros was set up, but she understood once he was in her life that she was actually using him. And yeah. it felt, we thought it was the other way around, you know, Tedros using her to further his career. And really she was using him as a muse to make the music that she couldn't make anymore after her mother died. And, and she was, fe- she was feeling empty and she makes up all of this stuff. She made up the brush thing. Mm. She, she was using him. She steals his artists. Now she's in control. So was, oh my God, was that guy, um, Troy Savant, whatever character uh-huh. he was. So was he also in on the whole making up stuff? I don't think so. Oh. But maybe, maybe at one point, because he does say something to Rachel Sonnet, um, yeah. Leia, like, to, don't be surprised at how far or how much people might hide who they are. I didn't understand Rachel Sonnet's character. Well, kind she was of like the friend. All. She was like the only friend that understood what was going on, but nobody would listen to her. Yeah. So I got it. I know. It was just like, it was, there were just like so many st- extra characters that I really don't feel like were needed. I don't know. That's my two cents. Yeah. And that, so we learn all this, which is a, which is a cool twist. Um, and then they, they like, it's like they can't figure out what they want to do with Tedros's character. Mm. So it's like, you know, Hank Azaria pulls him aside, tries to buy him off. And then it, it seems like he's literally going to kill him. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought when they drove away. I was like, oh, they're going to kill him. And like, no repercussions because nobody knows who this guy is. And then they don't. And then he's at the concert and it's all working out. And Lily Well, no, Rose, you skipped a thing because they use the Vanity Fair writer to kind of take him down right. and to yeah. investigate his past. And then he gets like in trouble with the police. But then I guess ultimately he's fine. I don't know. Yeah. So like they, it seems like they're totally destroying this guy. That, they yada yada a bit. Yeah. That, that we thought like, okay, it kind of had it coming. Like he kind of is a shitty dude, even though he was brought back down to life uh, by the end. But then the very end, you know, he shows up to SoFi to go to the concert. And at first we think that there's not going to be a ticket there. And Jocelyn has shamed him fully. Mm. And then there is a ticket there. And she brings him out on stage and kind of like uh, says that she's the love of her, her life and his, her muse, which I guess is fine. It's like another thing that she's in full control. Like she understands that she needs him yeah. because of what she, what he brought to her, you know, the songwriting she thinks that she's made the best music of her life because of him. She also brought, he also brought all of the, these other artists that she's grown to love. So like, she understands that he was, he's good at what he does, but she's in control. And she's yeah, like, now she, go sit in the corner and yeah, watch. She puts him in his place, yeah. but also that kind of, so she kind of cucks him, I guess. Yep. So is he still going to be amused for her? You know what right, I mean? Yeah, the like, power dynamic is completely yeah. shifted, but I don't know. Yeah, it like something felt off about the whole show. Yeah. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people have been saying. Well, so do you, so our friend even sent us this that like it was supposed to be six episodes, but yep. now it's five episodes. So like what were we missing in that sixth episode? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what happened that they could just do five and not six? You know what I mean? That just feels like a weird like if it's six, it should just be six. I don't know how you rework something. Yeah, I but rework know. that happened early. Oh, that, did it? Yeah, it wasn't like they had an entire episode filmed and just cut it. Oh. They just like, they reworked when Sam Levinson took over. So you knew it was supposed to be five episodes from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how they always pitched it. Oh. At least like since it was like, okay, now it's actually coming out. I see. 
but yeah, it was it was fine. Not bad, not great. I thought it was, you know, I didn't think it was as bad as everyone was saying. Yeah, it was okay. It gets me like a little nervous about the next season of Euphoria. Just like hopefully Sam Levinson washes this of him. Yeah. And he he keeps what the magic that was Euphoria season two. Well, like it just makes me wonder like how the weekend convinced him to do this. Yeah. I mean, it is an interesting story. Yeah, I think like in theory, it's good. In theory. It just like wasn't that well executed. executed. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. On to the movies. We had two date nights this week. Do you want to talk about past lives first? Yeah, let's talk about past lives. So you didn't love this movie. I really did like it. We can make this quick because I know you didn't love it and there's no reason to talk bad about a movie. Yeah, so while well, we saw Past Lives after hearing that it was fantastic and... Um, it came out of Sundance. came out of Sundance and it's like an early Oscar buzzy movie. Yes. So this movie was written and directed by Celine Song, who is a playwright and is a Korean immigrant herself. And this is kind of like an autobiographical movie that she wrote. So this movie, which I think kind of makes sense knowing that she's a playwright, takes place in three parts. So the first part um, is when Nora, the main character, is 12 years old um, with mm-hmm. Song. Um, but yeah, so they're 12 years old. So they, they're best friends, I suppose. You suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then again, they reconnect when they're 24 um, in their early 20s, obviously, maybe right after college, grad school. And then again, when they're 36. So it takes place in three parts. Um, you didn't love that aspect. I really did. I thought that was. No, I didn't mind that aspect. But it's all, it's a movie about like, what ifs? What could have been um, in the later timeline? Nora is married with a husband. So ultimately the movie is about a Korean born girl who moves to the U.S. uh, when she's 13, 12. Kind of leaving behind that life and starting a new life with this remaining tether to this one guy. Uh, she mar- She finds, eventually she finds a, an American, a white American guy that she marries. And the crux of the movie called Past Lives is how our past lives could have been different. And like, what if all of these, like, what if I stayed? What if he came? You know, I, I, I understand it. As like everybody has these, you know, what what if I went to this college instead of this college? What if I made a different decision? What if you never left uh, Savannah? Yeah. All of everybody has these things like these pivotal moments in their lives that so much of your life could be different. And she is kind of dealing with this one very big one. uh, And how her life could have been different. I thought it was. Pretty nice. I mean, it was. It's a very quiet, very subtle movie. Um, I don't. It's not like so deep. It really kind of makes. It's more of like an internal feeling that I felt watching it. Like it just made me think about my life. <gasps> wow. Um. I mean, like you said, like what if I stayed in Savannah? 
you always say like, no, we wouldn't have met. I wouldn't have known you. I think we still <gasps> would have met. We would have met. What if I went to UNC instead of BU? Uh, I've visited North met. Carolina. We would have never met. I know. We would have never met. These but then are we things did I've meet. already thought about, though. Yeah. Everybody's thought about it. Well, of course. So, yeah, Irma keeps hinting at that I didn't love this movie. First of all, it got built up a lot. Like I on, didn't think it get built. I didn't on, think on so. other on some other podcasts we listened to, they were saying like, "Oh, you got to go see this movie. It's opening wider. Go see it. It's you know, it's an early Oscar contender. It's it's beautiful." Um, again, the thesis statement of the movie is really good, and I think even a short movie about this would have been really good. And there were scenes in it. The bed, the bedroom scene between the husband and Nora yeah. is really nice when he kind of just lays it straight out for her. Like, you don't love me as much as I love you. And like, <laughs> there's always this hole that I can't seem to, to fill, which is really interesting to just kind of say it. And then the scene at the bar near the end where it's all three of them. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. And kind of right in front of the husband, they're speaking in Korean about literally the crux of the movie. Like, what if? Could we have been in love? Like, could could our lives have been different? Yeah. And that that scene really worked. And then the final thing where she like runs, runs, um, drops him off in, in the Uber and then runs back to her husband and cries and cries in her arms because he's left again. That pretty much worked. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it was really nice. What I what my biggest problem was all of that was the last twenty five. 30 minutes of the mm -hmm. movie, which is why I think like a short film well, it's like building with the same up thesis to that. would have worked. But the first hour of the movie I thought was painstakingly slow. Like even I, I brought this up a few different times, but when dialogue just feels so stunted and like people take huge breaks in between every single sentence mm. and it's like, answer the question. Like, then we're just sitting in this silence. And I guess that's the I point of the movie. It felt very, like, very realistic to me. But that's what I was talking about with, like, the bear when people just talk. People talk. <laughs> sure. And but, they, like, sometimes people think. I mean, so you would think. So she left this guy, essentially, when she was 12 years old. So it's hard to know, like, are we still connected? And, like, what do I say? And just, like, thinking mm -hmm. about everything you're saying right before you say it and taking a moment. I don't know. I don't. I think that's really realistic. I guess, especially because they're they're culturally different people. She became more Americanized, I would say, and he's still set in this like traditional Korean way. Sure, in theory. So again, I think like the theory of all this, and like you could pick it apart and be like, yes, this makes sense. But in the delivery, and my biggest gripe is that. Nothing about their relationship, their friendship as children, nothing about their interaction when they were 24, talking exclusively through Zoom about what time it was and how the weather was, was like interesting. It didn't show me any sort of unique relationship. It didn't show me why I should be thinking that they're a match or not. Like I said this to you before, the three minutes of Richie and Tiffany talking in the bedroom in the bear when they escaped the ma madness and they do like just a little tongue. They put their, they, they put their tongues out at each other. There's like a connection there. Well, that sure. But so like she doesn't quick. know if she has a connection with this person. That's the thing. That's the what if. 
I guess, but like that's like what's hanging in the air between them. So the story is about that there is no relationship between anybody in the movie, but we're supposed to consider the fact that maybe there would be. Yeah. Uh, and even at the end of the movie, <laughs> I think it's really beautiful. Like when she is dropping him off at the Uber, like they, they talk about this, like what if this, this theory of Inyun, I believe it's called, which is mm -hmm. like a Korean Buddhist um, idea of if you brush someone on the street, maybe you've been um, connected to them. Maybe you were married to them in a past life or something. Uh, I mean, I'm butchering this, so please watch the movie. And so when she drops him off at the Uber, he's pretty much like, well, maybe this is a past life and in our future life, we're together. And I just think that's like such a beautiful sentiment. Like it kind of gives them that closure that I think that they both really needed so they can stop thinking about what if. I don't know. I think it's really beautiful. Um, there's a book that I read, I want to say like a couple of years ago that I thought was really lovely. Um, it's kind of like a millennial book, I would say, like people kind of make fun of it, but I think it's like really nice and poignant. It's called The Midnight Library. And ever since I read this book, it's hard not to wonder like if every little decision, I guess, ultimately made me wind up here and like what could have been different. Podcast. Exactly. I don't know. Um, it's kind of, I don't know. It's an emotional roller coaster, but yeah, I, I really, I loved the movie. You loved it. I think I did. Yeah. The more, cause I, I keep you, thinking about it more and more. You love the thesis of the movie. I do. That is fine. Like, yes, the thesis and the theory behind it, everybody can relate to. My problem is there was nothing about any of the characters in the movie we watched that made me understand why they would be having these thoughts about each other. They didn't talk about anything important or interesting. It was like simply the theory of what if we spent more time together, but there was nothing to show me why that space of 20 more years together would have been more interesting. Okay. That's my argument. Fine. But Irma loved it. So when you see it, what do you think? Yeah, please let us know. I'd love to talk to someone who liked it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could talk to... I think I'm definitely in the minority here that it was like fine with it. It was fine. And everybody's really talking it up. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We went to a fully packed movie theater to see the new iteration of Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Irma. Was Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny, a good movie? Yes, <gasps> I think so. This was fun. I had fun. I love Harrison Ford. I've always loved Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, I would say, is like one of the movies like I loved when I was a kid. Harrison Ford was definitely my first crush as a child. I just, in Indiana Jones, not Star Wars, not anything else. You didn't like Han? I, I didn't, didn't watch, watch it. Much, yeah. yeah. Like, this is what I watched. I loved it. Um, the de-aging in this is like, ah, it gave me that young Indiana that I liked, but it was like, <laughs> ah. yeah, it was a little strange. But yeah, I mean, this was definitely way better than the Crystal Skull movie. Um, but yeah, definitely maybe not as good as like the first three, but that's just because like those are the yeah, originals. Um, but no, I, I, I thought this was good. 
Yeah. So as a resident indie fan, you approve. I'm more, I'm neutral on the Indiana Jones. So I didn't have as much expectations going in. It just wasn't as much of a part of my early life to be like this big nostalgia play for me. I almost, I like looked into becoming an archaeologist because of this. I'm <laughs> oh, wow. not kidding. I'm not kidding. Right. I went into historic preservation because of this kind of. Wow. Indy had a huge effect. He really did. I really thought and now about look like, at us. yeah, I know living in Brooklyn. Um, like, could I be that? I mean, obviously not that, but I don't know. Yeah. So if you, I, I agree. I thought it was fun. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. Most of the time I wasn't bored and that's kind of like my big barometer. Like there's, there's really good movies. There's bad movies. And like most movies are pretty good as long as I'm not bored. And if I'm yeah. not bored, I think you did a pretty good job. Um, actually I thought the most boring parts were a few of the action sequences. Well, they just went on, I think, a bit too long. Not that they were bad, but at the same time, I was like, how are they going to get out of this? Like, this just yeah. is going on forever. Yeah, the, the cart scene, the buggy scene that was going through the streets, I thought was fine. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was what it was. And then Irma already mentioned it. The train sequence specifically that opens the movie, uh, that goes on a little too long also. But I felt like at least that early, right off the bat, I was pretty distracted by the de-aging. Yeah, it didn't bother me as much as I thought it was going to. Like, they have so much footage of Harrison Ford when he's this age and of him as Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that, like, kind of got me was his voice, because obviously yeah. he's an 80-year-old man trying to sound like a 40-year-old man. And, like, his voice is just more grab gravelly yeah, so i guess more. um so that sounded weird um and yes it was a little strange but it wasn't so bad i didn't think so at least yeah i it wasn't so much like him looking younger it was that it didn't look that good like it looked to well, me like a video game a yeah there were like parts of it because like was the whole thing cgi no no like the yeah because the train itself yeah, the train itself, I mean, he was on the train, but then parts of it, like, where he definitely wasn't. Uh, when he was yeah. running across the top, that was all fake. Yeah. Like, that looked silly. But, um, but I mean, Tom Cruise ran across the train, yeah, we saw it. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> yeah. Tommy. Um, but yeah, it looked like a very good video game. Like, if I saw that in a video game, I'd be like, damn, these are good graphics. But in a movie that's supposed to be a real-life actor, it was like, this looks off. Yeah. So that was a little distracting. Nothing to like ruin the movie. No, not at all. Uh, but that was a little weird. And like the action set pieces as a whole were pretty good. Not great. I did like the concept, though. Oh, I, I love the concept. I liked the Archimedes math potential time travel. And then it gets a little a little kludgy. So like I like that they made. The Nazis, the villains again. Like Nazis I just are think, back. yeah, I just think it's like a good classic villain. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone hates a Nazi. Everyone knows that they're bad. And also it feels kind of realistic in a way, because a lot of people know mm -hmm. that Hitler was obsessed with religious artifacts and that he did collect them. And like, and I think the, I think the first thing was like a blade. Do you remember what it was called? And yeah, that, it was like a Holy Grail type thing. It was yeah, like but like that, that actually was something Hitler searched for. Like it's mm -hmm. like a thing that Hitler did look for. So I just thought like making that like realistic was like interesting and like compelling. And and I think Mads Mikkelsen playing the main Nazi villain 
He did a great job. Yeah. And he was also de-aged in the beginning. There are definitely people in the world yeah. that might want to turn back time and change certain things. Yeah. So like that, that all made sense. Uh, a few things that kind of bothered me was just the villain, but it just felt like he was the most capable tracker of all time. Yeah. And it was driving me nuts because Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who did a very good job. Yeah, we hadn't even talked about her yeah. yet. She was amazing. She was a great partner to Indiana Jones. She really held her own. Yeah. And I think she really like combated him in a really great way, I guess. Like, and she wasn't like, a helpless woman like yeah. also like same with like um an ark of the covenant i believe it is um raiders of the lost ark raiders of the lost ark oh my god what am i talking about um her favorite movie <laughs> no raiders actually scared me as a child because the end scene was so yeah. scary um but the woman in that i think who's the woman who comes back at the end of this movie i can't remember her name right now i'm sorry but like she's also like a capable woman and like really held her own and i just think that that's like a really good um, partner to Indy. Yeah, well, she kind of starts off as a bit of an antagonist, not quite to the Nazi degree. Yeah. But like, she's not totally on board with Indiana Jones and they they learn to to work together, which which I thought really worked. What was bothering me is because they were so capable at like outwitting the bad guy. It was like they'd always have, they'd always be one step ahead. Yeah. Like, yeah, we finally defeated him. But like, he'd then he'd always be right there. They, they flew to the mid, they flew out somewhere and then took a boat to the middle of the Mediterranean. And then somehow and then he was there. And then all of a sudden Mads Mikkelsen and his whole team was right there. Yeah. And then didn't they, make sense. Then they blow up the boat, yeah. get on a different boat, drive away. Like, yeah, we outsmarted the bad guy again. None of the bad guys are hurt. Yeah. They get on a dinghy, which wasn't there before. They understand exactly where Indy and just because they were going west, yeah. it didn't really they show make one of those sense. Stupid, that, like, like, they're going west instead of east, and then they know exactly what where they're port, going. Yeah, to go to. Yeah, like that's fine if there's one of those, but there was like six of them. Yeah, yeah. That were, it, by the end, I was like, oh my god, okay, can we just get rid of this guy already? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, ultimately, like that's not what it was about. I know, like, there's got to be the villain that's on your tails. But like, if he's gonna be on your tails, just give me reasons why he's so good at figuring out where they are. Like, like when they put a tracker in the bag, yeah, and, you know, exactly. like just like a, well, a quick they, little thing. Maybe the time time period right. there couldn't be a tracker. But no, 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 it was. Oh yeah, no, it was sixty nine, right? Um, but like yeah, so when they find them in the middle of the Mediterranean, have one guy on the boat that has betrayed you, and just be like, how could you do that to us? And be like, okay, at least he, you know, now I get it. But he just he was like this unbelievable bad guy that just knew every toss and yeah. turn. Uh, and then what what did you think about how they actually ended it? So I didn't mind it. I mean, every Indiana Jones has a supernatural element yeah, to it. Yeah, but not like this. I mean, kind of. He used the Holy Grail to um, save his dad. Oh, oh, in the third one. Yeah, in the yeah. third one. Um, So to, you know what I mean? To like heal his wounds and save his life. Like this is kind of like in Temple of Doom, he rips out someone's heart and not Indy, but like they rip out someone's heart and they yeah. still live. Like. It's kind of like, like, yes, time travel is kind of silly. Um, but at the same time, I'm not mad at it by any means. Um, I think they maybe spent like slightly too long there, but I thought it was OK. And I think it actually makes sense for Indiana Jones, someone who's been like so focused on the past and history mm -hmm. and like this is like important and um, everything belongs in a museum for him to end there and like to 
possibly want to stay there. Yeah. Like I think it's kind of poignant. Um, I don't know. I, I really liked it. And especially like with what's the Greek guys. Archimedes. Archimedes. And that he was such a genius of his time. I don't know. I just, yeah, I didn't mind it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Yeah. Again, like I'm a little more iffy of it on it. It is, it is kind of cool because even as someone that's not, nearly as into history as much as like obviously an archaeologist is i still imagine like i'll pass a, a fet like an old stone fence in a forest and be like man i wonder what that was yeah 200 years ago and that's mm-hmm. not even that long but like as somebody that's obsessed with history i could understand it being really cool obviously to finally actually see it like you've studied this thing so much in this war that you taught courses about like oh here it is yeah that's pretty cool it did and to feel, know that you had an impact in it. Yeah, it did. It did <laughs> feel like a bridge a little too far. Like in all of the other, at least the three, it's like when the Ark is opened and it kills the Nazis mm-hmm. or like the Holy Grail um, uh, revives yeah. Sean Connery. Those are still like fairly small things, like in contained spaces. It's like time traveling back to the middle of a all out war where play now you're flying a plane over them. I think it was just like the set piece of it all. Yeah. That felt like, all right, this is a bit much rather than just like opening an, an arc and having all the Nazis heads explode in the desert where you already are like moving there felt a lot, but in theory, I like it. It just felt like, Oh, okay. Now we're, now we're talking to Archimedes. Yeah. It's like no longer theoretical or like interesting. It's like, okay, this is just straight up happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like ridiculous, but at the same time, I'm not mad that it happened. Like, I think it's I think it was really great. And I think what would have made me upset is if he stayed. And that's how we get the end of Indiana Jones, because he wanted to stay and like. Learn and learn from Archimedes, you know what I mean? And essentially like help them. And but Phoebe Waller Bridge was just like, no, no. shot. He was basically just going to let himself die. Oh, right, 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 right. (laughs) And then Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, no, you cannot stay here because you didn't stay here. Like, you cannot mm. do this. And like time travel. Yeah. And so she like really forces him to leave. So thank God he doesn't die there. And he gets back to his like Brooklyn or New York apartment. Um, so, yeah, that would have made me mad, but it didn't happen. There was also a restaurant called Hoffman's that they showed yeah, multiple times. Multiple and he times. pointed at it every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, you're happy they made this movie. Yeah. Nobody was asking for it, but it certainly wasn't offensive in any way. No. And unlike Shia LaBeouf, like I do think Phoebe Waller-Bridge could maybe carry the mantle in like a weird way. I don't know if she can get her own movie, but like I wouldn't. I would like to see her again. I would. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I thought like, she did a totally fine job. I don't but know. Like if- maybe if it's not like Indiana Jones, like I don't. I- Phoebe Waller-Bridge in a totally different movie, maybe. Well, no, <laughs> but I'm just saying like. I don't remember her the character's name. God, we're doing such a bad job. But like, um, if she just like had her own movie, I don't know. I'd watch it. I like her a lot. You watch it. You want to be an archaeologist? Yeah, I do. Really, I really do. And like, I've always loved these type of movies. Like, I mean, stupid, um, Robert Langdon. I've I liked that movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, National Treasure. Film. Yeah, I like that movie too. So I mean, whatever. I'm. Pretty basic. What do you want from me? That's fine. Oh, yeah. All right. That is it. Thank you very much. I feel like I constantly 
uh, apologize for how long these are. But you know what? We like to talk. We like these things, and I like to say a lot of things about them. <laughs> so, Except for things you don't like. Yeah. Or no, even I, things you don't like. I have things to say about <laughs> past lives. It's it's good. It's just not great. And ultimately, I don't think it'll survive to be like an Oscar thing. But we'll see. We'll see. Next week, we are going to see Joyride. So I think we'll we'll touch on that. Yeah. And otherwise, on the TV side, I think it'll just be kind of a catch-up. We caught up on Platonic. We watched, what's the Idris Elba show? Hijack. Hijack, which is great. Highly recommend that. We'll be talking about that. What else? Um, Righteous Gemstones is great. We'll touch on that. Yeah, I think it'll just be a quick hitter on a, on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no major. This is the week that's a little bit slower. So thank you to John for our intro and outro music. And thank you to Craig for the production assistance. Subscribe so you know every time we post a new video. Follow us on all the social medias at Talk Intent. The month of Zach has begun. So if you're not following me on TikTok, you can listen to all of the movies I've been watching. So far, we've done 1987 to 1990. And I'm doing quick videos on reacting to those. Email us at talkintent at gmail.com. Any thoughts, opinions, cheers, or jeers from our living room to yours? What do you want to watch?